I am your host, Stephen, and you are listening to the Learn Swift Podcast, where beginners to the Swift language share their background, experiences, lessons learned, and ambitions. On today's episode, I interview Mike Charlin. Mike is a developer in test who one day hopes to become a professional iOS developer. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. You know, I had a I just accepted a new job yesterday, so, you know, living on the high of that, so excited for some new opportunities. Awesome. Uh, what, what are you doing? I'm uh, going to be software developer and test, so essentially um, helping uh, iOS and Android testing for a mobile company. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, what did you do before you landed this job? Similar thing, but for, uh, it was cool. I got to work remotely, so... Uh, um, the difference with this role is that this company does, uh, they're a cell phone uh, plan provider and the other company did in-ear headphones. So it's it's a different um, kind of product because this one will be cool because it's um, directly working on the software with the, the developers where the other one was remote. So, you know, you, you kind of never felt that close connection. So it's, it's nice to go back to an office for that reason. That's cool. When you say cell phone plan provider, do you mean like somebody like Rogers or your or or AT and T? The text now is the name okay. of the company. So yeah, they're uh, like a competitor too, but they're obviously much smaller. Uh, the cool okay. thing with text now is that it uh, they try to take advantage of Wi Fi as much as possible. So if you have a call and there's Wi Fi available, the call will go over VoIP, not over uh, not over the cellular network. So it'll make your cell phone bill a lot smaller. Oh, interesting. So backpedaling a little bit further, um, sure. <laughs> what, get, give us your uh, background in general, like what got you started sure. in life? So, so <laughs> in life, well, my parents. So really the big kickoff for me was in the early 80s, my dad bought my mom a Commodore 64. And my mom and I played a lot of games on that. And that was kind of my first, hey, this is a lot of fun. And I never played them really obsessively. I just remember, like, especially as I got older, I went back and played them. And it was like, I played for a minute or two. And I that's all I played when I was a kid. I, I could tell, like, level two or three in a game. And there's 50 levels. And I remember when I was, like, I had memories of, oh, I played that game so much. I played that game so much. But it wasn't. I just had a lot of fun. And they're fond memories. So, and I always had a computer in the house growing up. Um, never anything really uh, super powerful, but of course, you know, in the eighties and nineties, computers weren't super powerful. But played a lot of games and just had a lot of fun with that. New um, for me as a career path, I always wanted to be close to computers. So I went to school then for computer science, and then after that, I started working in computers. But it was kind of a, it's a twisty career path where. I started um, installing computer systems was the first thing I did. And then I worked help desk, which, um, not help desk, sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry, it was help desk. And then after that, I was in QA, and then I went to development, and then I went back to QA. So around and around, I went through the years, and it's just uh, always been close to computers, love technology, uh, just a lot, a lot of fun space to be in. So in, in, in QA, you're pretty much, you're, you're trying to break the software, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, so, do you are you, or were you doing like were you writing tests or were you actually playing with the software? Were you interacting with the software in the way that the end user would? Or um, both? So, yeah, both for sure. You know, like you're always trying to kind of say how the users can use it because 
The problem is once you start using the software, you know it so well that you start using it in sometimes the way the developers tell you to use it, or you've gone through planning and it's like, oh, it's simple. You just click here and here and here because that's how um, the, what do you call it, the product spec has been designed out to go. But when a customer uses it, they, they might have no clue, right? They haven't seen these specs. They just want to get the job done. So trying to be that kind of uninformed person, it, is, it can be quite tricky sometimes to, to okay, what are they going to do and why? And why doesn't a customer like this? So it's cool nowadays having a lot more data analytics and products to be so you can see what paths people are using. Because back when I started, it was, you know, it was desktop software. So it was, they take it, they install it, and you hope they like it. <laughs> you know, very waterfall method of development back then. Did you go back to QA by choice? Uh, wh- wh- why did you go from development to QA or, you know? So so first, it was just opportunity. Um, I, I'd always thought I'd wanted to be a developer. So in QA was fun. And then I had a couple of friends who were developers. Um, and then I moved over there just to try something new and it was great because I was able to take my QA experience and bring that to the development role. So I was, you know, hey, look, I can do all this testing and help our team test because the company I was at at the time had a very um, developers, developer, testers test, which I looked, I didn't like at all. I really um, liked agile where developers are supposed to kind of do both and testers could have the opportunity to do both. So it was that opportunity to help developers get, hey, look how much more testing you can do, not necessarily like manual testing, but you know, automated testing and just making, helping get the uh, product to a higher quality level. So when you say automated testing, um, or would that be unit tests or would that be writing scripts to interact with the, like, I've used some Python libraries to do GUI automation. Is that kind of what you would be doing? Um, so the, the, the scheme was that there's a, a really famous pyramid by Mike Cohn called the unit, the testing pyramid. And at the bottom, it's got this really wide girth of unit tests and it has functional tests. And at the top is UI tests. The team had no tests. So the easiest thing to start with and the easiest thing to talk to developers to start with is unit tests because they're closest to the code they're writing. Most of the time, unit testing framework is in the same language. So that's where we started was, okay, let's get that that going up. And then the idea long-term, um, it didn't pan out for many reasons, but was to build uh, more UI and, fun- and functional tests on top of that. So when you say functional tests, uh, what do you mean? I, I don't really know a whole lot about uh, software QA, so. Sure, no, no worries. Um, so functional tests is like, testing uh, modules work together. So let's say you have like two libraries and they're in your code. So to make sure those libraries interact well together, not, not at the level of like, uh, like, you know, making sure that if you parse a string correctly, making sure that like a higher level function than that works correctly. Okay. So just make sure, make sure that from a, like a unit test is, is testing the core functionality of those individual pieces and a functional test is making sure that they all work together in the right, in the correct way. Yeah, correct. Like think, okay. the easiest way to think of it too is like just under a UI test, right? It's, it's not kind of clicking the buttons. It's making sure like some algorithm works correctly or would be, would more of a functional test than a unit test. Okay. So now with your, with, with UI testing, what, what typically occurs there? Um, I, I know that, I haven't messed around with any UI tests with Xcode or anything in, sure. in that test suite, but I would imagine, especially from a desktop uh, application perspective, it's prob- 
I don't know. You you have to. Accept. <laughs> so are you doing it manually most of the time or is it mostly automated? Um, so back, back in the day, I never did um, desktop automation through uh, for the UI. It was it was for mobile. And it, it's the same thing in a lot of times. So what you're doing is your tests are more emulating what a manual test would be like in terms of I want to like the typical example is you've got a login screen. So you want to have the test will click the click the empty login name field, type the name, like using the device's keyboard, type the password, press login, makes and so then it's it's actually interacting with the UI and then you have assertions verifying that after you click the login button, the login screen is shown and there's various login information shown on that screen. Okay. Well that makes sense. Um so when 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 did you start diving into Swift and what got you interested in iOS and Swift development? Sure. So my my last job, the one the, before the one I just accepted, uh, my role I, when I started there, I was doing um, Android testing, and then they were looking for iOS to, iOS testers and they couldn't find any. So they said, "Hey, do you want to try this?" I'm like, "Sure." I've I've never dug much into the Apple world of things. Let's give it a try. So I got to start writing XCUI tests for Swift in Swift, sorry. And so that was a start there. So for about a year and a half, I wrote Swift tests and it was, it was fun. It was like, Hey, this is pretty cool. And then learning more, reading more about the language, it was like, Hey, this is new and fun. And it's nice not to have like some of the older languages I found really hard to learn because it's like, okay, here's how the language originally was. Now they've built this thing on top and this thing on top and this on top and this on top and this on top. It's like, it just gets more complicated and kind of hard to use where Swift's new. And it's like, okay, well, here's the way things are done. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, it's, it's pretty neat in that way. I know that, um, I, I've, I've played around with Java a little bit and, um, and, and it, it's okay. Um, I, I think a lot of people bash Java. I'm not really opposed to Java as a language itself. I do think Swift is better, but I, I am more inclined to write Java code than I am Objective C just because I'm a little more familiar with it and it's not as, uh, it's not as, uh, scary looking. <laughs> For sure. No, I agree. And that's one reason I never learned Objective-C is because, is yeah, it just looks so weird with the brackets and the stars. And I'm like, ew, like, you know, I'm like, my, I'd rather just use something a little more modern than this. <laughs> yeah. So when did you did you start uh, playing around with Swift at home or did you did you just um, have the stuff at work? Uh, I would imagine like. I, I came late to Apple platforms in general. Right. I only recently got an iPhone about two, a little less than two years ago now. Mm -hmm. I've had a Mac for a while, but I never even thought about writing any iOS apps until not long after I got my iPhone. Right. So, so what happened with me with uh, the path is that I, I, I work from home, right? So I had, I was able to work bought me a, I'm sorry, I bought for myself a, a MacBook. And that's kind of what it started with. It's like, hey, cool, I can try to do something different. You know, I, I've done, I've played around with Android development in the past, nothing really serious, just the simple kind of hello world apps and some other little toy apps I wrote for myself. But it's like, hey, let's try something different with uh, Swift and iOS development. And obviously the MacBook was a gateway to make that happen. I looked into a Hackintosh, but it was never anything that I felt comfortable doing. I'm like, I'd rather have um, a laptop, like an official system to do it. And the cool thing is too, is anybody who I ever asked who bought an, a MacBook loves it and will hold on to it for their dear life where you get 
a Windows laptop for years. It's I've had a bunch and they, they never lasted that well. So it's definitely been a good purchase and a good route to go down with the MacBook. And then of course, it was so easy to start writing, um, what do you call it, start writing uh, Swift code in it and starting to do some sample apps. Yeah, I, I hear you there. Um, my this I'm on my second MacBook now. And my first MacBook, uh, it started, it, 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 honestly, I didn't notice it being slow until I started to, to write, <laughs> uh, Swift code. So right. that's when I, and I had had it, I, I got, it was a early 2011 model, I, I believe it was. Um, and I recently just, I, I recently gave it away. I was like, Hey, look, this is a perfectly good computer. Um, the, the screen was a little cracked cause I had I guess I had fallen asleep with it in my lap and it fell over, but like the, the which is another thing you, you crack a screen on a, on, on any, you know, PC and you're going to have like LCD bleed or whatever, but this just has a, a slight crack in the corner. You can see it on the screen, no bleed, nothing. It's, it's crazy. And oh, wow. like I said, it's, it's still, still running strong, but I just wanted something to write, <laughs> write yeah. Swift apps with after this exposure to the XCUI tests, um, when, like, what, what did you start using to learn writing Swift code for applications? Sure. So I found, I went Google, used the power of Google and found a bunch of free <laughs> yeah. tutorials and stuff. And I did a couple, like, I, I started going through some of the Udemy courses. I just picked one or two out and started kind of going through a bit of it. The, the thing is, and it's been the big struggle for me with Swift, is that there's so much you can learn because it's obviously based on um, Cocoa and there's just so much below the surface and it's like, okay, well, what do I really want to learn? It's like, oh, well, this is fun. Let's spend a bit of time with this. This is fun. Let's spend a bit of time with this. So, and there's so many tutorials out there. So I found that's been a, been a lot of fun with, hey, let's try all this different stuff. But it's also been, a, I feel like sometimes you haven't got anywhere because it's like, you know, a lot about a little piece or, you know, a little bit about a lot. Yeah, no, I, I definitely feel you there. That's that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Um, I, I recently started to get back into a project that I had started working on. I just kind of went back to the drawing board. Nothing too fancy, but um, I had I'd get to a point and then I'd be kind of like, ah, oh, well, I'm not. I'm I'm getting to a point where I'm hitting a wall and I'm kind of getting frustrated. I can't find anything out there, and then I'll go off somewhere else and learn something else which is great. And then a lot of times I'll come back and then I'll see that, oh, hey, now I've got this other perspective on how to tackle a certain problem because everybody that you see a tutorial from or even when you start to look at the documentation, you start to see it from all these different perspectives that maybe that problem that you hit a wall with before, um, you can you can kind of figure it out from having those different perspectives. No, agreed. Yeah, that's uh, it is cool that once you do get the different perspectives, that getting a better idea of what's going on and how to solve the problem. So yeah, but it's been fun. Like you know, a great Winderlich. Winderlich has some great tutorials that they're fun to go through. They're up to date and they're uh, pretty straightforward. One thing I find really frustrating with tutorials is that sometimes when it's like they skip steps, they're like, okay, now go make the UI. I'm like, uh, auto layout scares me. <laughs> you know, I, I get, you know, how to, you can click and drag it, but getting everything to align correctly, especially when you start trying to go through uh, different uh, resolutions and stuff, it's uh, kind of like, and then try to rotate it and everything still works for you. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I've gotten pretty comfortable with auto layout, I would say. Right. Um, 
I, I've been I've been trying to toy around more with uh, programmatic layout, but then like right now I'm working with like I said I got back on this this project that I had that I had had from a while back, and I I started to go do that. And I was like, you know what? I want to get the underlying business logic to work, and I'm not really gonna sit here and worry about laying out my UI programmatically and just kind of waste time on stuff that's not really functional. That's why they made auto layout and and interface builder was so that you could get <laughs> that stuff done quick so you could take care of the other stuff what was your favorite tutorial favorite tutorial had been uh, it's gonna sound kind of funny but it was flappy bird just because it was so it was so easy to do um because it was visual um the steps were really clearly lined out about okay you know you start with your blank screen of course you start you start with putting the pipes on and then you get the animations to to scroll the pipes across the screen, then you have your bird in the middle, and then you have gravity to make it go down, and then you you have to click on top of that then to to adjust the bird from falling down, and then you put in collision detection so when the bird hit the ground or the pipes they would die, and then you put in the game logic to say okay the game is over start a new game and just so it, it was really easy because it's really straightforward like I find games are a lot of fun to start with tutorials because it's very obvious what it is and this can be fun to play around with and hack a bit at the end to to be like oh well i like how it does this but you know maybe i can make it uh like change it around a bit to just uh just tinker with it to have fun yeah i i did a i didn't do the ray winderlich flappy bird um have you heard of hacking with swift i've mentioned it on the show before i think i think so so the way Paul Hudson approaches uh, hacking with Swift, he doesn't cover, and he he admittedly uh, he he admits this. He's, he doesn't go about it in like the the prettiest way. He doesn't teach you best practices, but you know the the book's called Hacking with Swift. I mean, what do you expect? Um, but the way he lays it out is he does a you do an app like a utility app, then you do a, a game, and then you do like a, like a theory or not theory, but like a framework or something. Um, so he had, he had one in there that was sent, I think he called it crashy plane, but very similar, like same exact stuff that you're talking about. And it, that, that was a lot of fun. And he had a few other games in there too. Uh, you do like a whack a penguin. It's like, you know, whack a mole, but, and my nephew had, had stayed over and like, he was like, Oh, this is cool. What if he did this? And I was like, Oh, Hey, how about we go over here and we do that. So instead <laughs> nice. of like, instead of, uh, I forget what it, what it was doing by default. I it maybe had had just shrunk down and then it maybe it shrank and then went back into the hole or something but i made him spin and shrink at the same time i, I forget what, exactly yeah. what it what i made different but he thought that was so cool and i was like yeah that is pretty cool isn't it <laughs> so and it was pretty cool because i was doing the tutorials because kind of the dream job for me is just to be an idolist of alper um but i i don't find i have the the skill set to get there yet so it's it's kind of like go through these tutorials and what's kind of most relevant to, to work. Well, the beginning was just get exposure to all these different tutorials to see what there is to learn, right? Because it's the, uh, what do you call it? I forget what it's called, but it's essentially when you don't know, it's the unknown unknowns, right? When you don't know anything about what you're going to learn, you don't know what there could be to learn. I know exactly what you mean. Yep. So it's like, okay, well, let's just get exposure to everything. And then, okay, I know all this stuff, like my... Uh, I've done very little with like Alamo Fire and any kind of networking stuff. 
So I, I know I need to work on that. And it's kind of like, okay, well, I know that now where before I, I didn't know, you know, okay, well, maybe there's just one library that everybody uses for networking. And of course there's not, but there's not, you know, there's really the three options. So none of, I don't think any of my other guests have actually had a computer science degree. Right. Um, how do you think how, how how has that helped you because i i've heard i've heard different things about computer science right. it, it's mostly applied mathematics for the most part you don't really learn a lot of practical stuff is that correct yeah well it, it is it's a lot of you know um i took a lot of math courses and it was it, you come out and the uh, i didn't feel i knew this stuff well enough I, I knew well enough to pass the classes and of course get the degree but it wasn't like i came out i'm like oh i know what i'm doing now i feel really prepared it's like okay i know the theory behind it but it's not necessarily uh, applicable. So it's like, okay, I know this data structure or I know this development methodology, but how is that gonna help me in the real world? Right, so did you get, do you do any programming in in, in computer science? Is it like-, no, like Yeah, for sure. We, we, you'd have programming projects and programming specific courses, but the focus of the course was um, not on learning the language, it was on the uh, results of the like so it would be like okay here's a data structure um and make it do these data structure like things like insertion and deletion and selection of course and all that stuff but they didn't teach you how to do it in the language they just wanted you to see okay this type of data structure is really slow it runs in this algorithmic time this data structure is really fast it runs in this time and that was a very important thing was analyzing your programs but you know um on, on to a lot of toy problems and that that would be uh when you say calculate that was that what big o notation is calculating the time for sure yeah that's exactly okay, it. Yeah. okay. so then okay. you've got your best case worst case and average case and you know you can look at the code and basically pull out the how it looks to how fast it sh should go in the those scenarios data structures and algorithms seem more seem like more of an an issue for lower level stuff i would imagine the reason why that you teach the get taught the data structure and is because then when you see a problem that's similar you'll know how to kind of mutate or change that algorithm to, for your your for your design and it'll just help you you'll kind of stand on the shoulder of giants okay they designed all this stuff that way now i can design it this way which might be slightly better or applicable to my problem um, I agree with you 100% that it is too low level for uh, for Swift stuff. Like like saying with UI layout, like there's nothing in that data structures that taught me that would help me with laying out my UI better, or you know general even a lot of the general programming like the solid principles. Um, you never we never touched in school where those are can become fundamental for some applications, and even something as simple as model view controller was not covered as uh, in school. So. What 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 do you find hard about Swift itself? Um, like we we can get into uh, Cocoa frameworks and whatnot right. um, later too, because I mean that's a whole nother beast. But Swift specifically, is there anything that you find difficult about the language? Um, closures, I kind of like. Uh, okay, I've I've not really programmed much or dealt much with closures, so just the idea of passing something to be run at some time, where I'm kind of just used to passing variables around. It's like okay, variables make sense, and you know, but it's like okay, this function is gonna work at some time, and then you can kind of delay it, and you know, you can do that. I, I, that just I, it takes me a while to be like, okay, I get with where you're going with this, but like if I had to write my own program, adding enclosures, I, I don't can't think of the scenario in which I would add them. You know what I mean? It's it's I don't have that closure mindset 
to be like, oh, okay, this is when I would use the closure and why. Like I understand the basic cases. Okay, I'm gonna do an asynchronous operation. I want this to act, tell me when it's done. It's pretty straightforward, but, and you know, it could be some kind of long running UI operation. But other than that, it's like, why would I need to use that? But then when you look at tutorials and stuff, they're all over the place. Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> that the the one the one thing uh, about tutorials is that they never go very far past the surface. Um, even when you look at uh, advanced, I mean, it's really impossible to because you could you could go down a rabbit hole like until you get down to the the wackiest edge case. But I I I'm still in in a similar boat. I know how to use them when Apple. Uh, presents me with the um, framework situations where they say, okay, this takes a closure, you know, put in like your, put in your closure uh, logic here. Okay. I can, you know, I can do that. But when it comes like with you, like it, when it comes to creating, when to create my own closures and when to actually use them. And yeah, that's, that's when it's pretty much like game over. (laughs) (laughs) So, and the other thing is, uh, is funny. I forget what podcast was on, but they mentioned optionals. I'm like, oh, the optional. And it was like 100% agreeing with optionals sound really simple to deal with, but how to correctly put them in your code and not having to force and cast them all the time. It's kind of like, it, it is a bit of an art that, you know, because you, you don't want to have to force and cast and how you design your code. Yeah, absolutely. Even, even still, usually, um, Sometimes I'll I'll sit there and I'll I'll be I'll be writing some some code and I won't make it optional and usually that's what I do first now is I don't do optional and then it's like oh that's stupid make it an optional. So the the other struggle with learning too is like it, sometimes do, do you focus on should you focus on what will make you the most marketable for for position or do you just want to focus on what you think is the most interesting? See, I think I think there's a fine line. I, I think I think all of it will make you marketable, really. In the in the end, I mean, I don't. If, if you at least know a lot about a little, and then specialize in a couple areas, whatever you, you know, you maybe you decide that is, um, it can't hurt. Right now, I'm working a lot with the file system. I just found out about uh, f- something called file wrappers. I had made my own wrappers. And I was sitting there struggling with something. I was I was like, why, why can't I find this? Why can't I get this file's size? Because that was going to be a like a computed property mm-hmm. that I was going to have, but I, I couldn't I couldn't get it at all. Um, and then I was digging through the Apple documentation, and I went like a level up from the file manager, and it showed file manager and file wrapper. I was like, what is file wrapper? I was like, that sounds like exactly what I'm trying to do, but it's already Apple supported. <laughs> and what do I, <laughs> what did I find? Uh, yeah. Right. So now, like, I w- I wanted to have this thing for the extensions and the file size, and that's all. The extensions not supported. I just made that a, a I extended file wrapper and made it a computed property to return the file extension. Gotcha. Um, but everything else that I wanted was there. I was like, Jesus, I spent like days trying to figure out how I wanted to right. like, I, cause I conceptually think about this and let, let me know what you think. When you go into your file system, whether it's on your phone, on your computer, you've got two 
broad classes of things that you'll find in your, in your file system, a directory and a file, right? So a directory is just a, essentially is a collection of either more directories and files or just files, right? Or it could be empty. How does that fundamentally, other than that, how does that actually fundamentally differ from an abstract point from a file? when you're modeling it because it will have it has so many of the same different properties except for the fact of it being a directory other than that what 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 do you what would you say differentiates it and I'm, this isn't a trick no, question no, i don't know no, yeah, that, that's it right like it's a it's a file is has content and a folder holds content right yeah like you're saying with it so I, I think it's really that straightforward but yeah yeah so that's the it's with Apple's file wrapper class, it just has a is directory um, Boolean. So I was like, that was probably the way to do it, but I'm glad. <laughs> well, it's great that the solution's there for you, right? So you don't, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's too bad you spent the time trying to figure it out, but it, you know, it's, it's nice that you found it and it's not like six, a month later or six months later. Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably like, I don't want to say, I didn't say, I wouldn't say I spent a week doing that by itself right, right. but like in the week that i had been i have been back on this project i had been fiddling with that as part of my you know messing with the rest of the project it's like uh that doesn't make sense maybe i should change this i, I started I had a protocol and i was like uh, i don't like that either i don't know yeah but then i found that i was like oh thank you one 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 tiny extension file and it just saved my life <laughs> all done <laughs> Yep. It's like, great. That, that's awesome. Now, now, do you think that, um, wh why it took you so long to find it? Was it a discoverability issue or, or was it just a lack of experience? You know what I mean? Like how, for when that happens again in the future, when you try to do something that might already exist, how can you prevent yourself from going down that same route? I think if I would have, so I was focused on the file manager class. And so whenever I did a Google search on the file manager class, it would, you know, take you straight to the file manager documentation. Right. So I forget if it's a, uh, I forget here. Let me, let me pull it up. Cause I have it in my favorites now. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but it's not. So the top of my head isn't very clear. Hardly ever. Anyway. <laughs> okay. So I would imagine you visit the Apple documentation relatively uh -huh. frequently. So if you like up at the top, it'll say documentation. Then it'll it'll kind of go down the go down the tree of of things. Right. So I would always be in the file manager class. So I never thought to click back to file system. Uh. So if you go back to file system, then it lists a couple other things. So you've got a file manager, which is the file system operations. Then you've got file handle file handle ns file security ns file version and then file wrapper and it says a representation of a node and then in parentheses it says a file directory or symbolic link and the file system and i was like well damn and i click on it and i was like oh my god this <laughs> <laughs> and i found that out this this morning is when i found mind that. blown <laughs> yeah it was like <laughs> Yeah. Cool. Is there is there anything that you've been working on where you where you've just had one of those moments where you've just it's like, oh my god, why didn't I find this out like months ago? Um, nothing I can think of. Honestly, off the top of my head, there, there's been cases like that where you go back to something 
and you look at it and it's like, why did I implement it that way? But I, I can't remember anything or say anything specific that I was like, oh, I really should have done it a different way. What is something that you're getting good at? Um, it's just a lo- getting familiar with writing Swift code that actually compiles and getting comfortable. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, cause you, you get the error messages and you're like, oh, I want it. It's like from idea to writing it down. It's like, okay, I'm like, I'm trying to take some tutorials now where you look at what the result is and you want to, you build towards that, but you don't follow the steps in the tutorial. You just kind of, you know, you, you skip through it together. So you're writing the code. You're not like, and write and add this line and add this line. I'm trying to add the lines myself so that I'm more familiar with the code. Cause any, I can copy down the code exactly as is, but sometimes you'll miss things like where exactly should that question mark go? You know, where should the, um, how should that, uh, what do you call it? Where should the guard statement be? Even the syntax of correctly writing the guard statement can be tricky. I find sometimes just because is it guard let, you know, blah equals blah, or is it guard equals blah, blah, or is it if guard let equals, and then, oh, don't forget the else <laughs> and just simple stuff like right. that, because then you feel, you know, I'm a little more fluent in the language I felt after that. And that's something I've been getting better at. It's like, okay, now I'm ready to kind of write more of my own apps instead of just, following tutorials um, straight through. Okay, yeah. Well, that, that, that's an awesome step forward for sure. Um, I think, I think of, especially with myself, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there, uh, the longer that I've, I went a solid two months without doing anything of my own projects, and I was like pretty much scared to go back and try on my own. I was like, Oh, maybe I need to learn something else before I go back to that. It's like, uh, yeah. Okay. And and then that's kind of similar to where I'm at right now is I don't know what I want to pick up next. Like I said, I obviously should pick something I'm scared of. So should I pick up auto layout, find like not necessarily tutorial, but like, you know, Bart Jacobs is one guy and then Ray Winderlich has it is that the more in depth tutorials where it's more like a book format. So you'll spend a lot more time on it and to become a, a lot more comfortable with it. But uh, like, I don't know if that's the right route to kind of go next. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I'm underestimating auto layout. Maybe I don't know it super well. Um, so I, I, I've never really had too many issues with it. I mean, when I, when I first started, I did. Um, but now I use a lot of stack views anyway, and those are pretty easy to deal with. Um, it's more what, 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 what I get confused is with the, uh, what do you call it? With setting everything for the margin, not to say the constraints and getting all those correctly tied in so that they'll grow and shrink as your app grows and shrinks and then not having the conflict and stuff. Right. Yeah, no, I totally get that. And like, like I said, I haven't, I haven't actually messed with screen sizes and stuff for a little bit. Um, so I'm, and especially with the new the new iPhone coming out, that's probably gonna make it even more fun. Right, yeah. The... So maybe I should pick up an auto layout book. <laughs> <laughs> but but and then like like you know you got to be good at some things and you're gonna be weak at other things. There's too much to learn to be good at everything. So it's it, it's kind of like what's the most interesting thing? Maybe to to would be the for you personally is would be the route to go to to figure out what to do next. So what, what, what kind of projects have you worked on or is there something, do you have a, do you have an app goal in mind that you're really wanting to build? Maybe you haven't started it yet, but is there something that you're really wanting to build? Um, no, honestly, not, 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 I haven't had that idea yet. Uh, most of the time, any apps I've wrote in the past are just simple, like toy apps. Like I did like a, 
uh, we call it a goal app where you could put your goal in and then you could so for sorry put your goal in and then put how close you are to completing it so every day you could add like a little task that would say I did five percent of this goal today or I did five units out of to get to the and you could say how many units the goal was um, and that was fun to do but other than that I've just done some small stuff for uh, for iOS like an affirmations app where it'll show you daily affirmations and you just uh, using the notifications so it was really a notification tutorial with that on top um honestly I, I haven't had like that oh I really want to do this app this is really what I want to do next uh, you know it's kind of like waiting for that inspiration and maybe it'll be a tutorial one day that where I just keep going and going and going. Um, I'd love to get something in the app store just to have something in the app store to go through that process and to like uh, my UI knowledge and my UI layout is, is pretty bad. Obviously being the whole auto layout issue. So it's kind of like I could do the back end stuff, but I don't want it to look ugly because then nobody's ever going to use the thing and it's just going to get ripped to shreds and reviews for, <laughs> because it's like, yeah, this app is hideous or it, you know, it doesn't function well. So. Yeah, I completely under, understand you there. Question: You you said that you did and did a uh, note like that affirmations yeah. app that you did a lot of notifications. Were you using push notifications or local notifications? Uh, just local, so it's just based off the time of day. So it was uh, okay time, three times a day or whatever, and then you. So, did, were you were you incrementing the badge count? Uh, nope. Dang it! Because I had I was working on. Uh, so I've I've mentioned this to do list app before. Have you ever seen that TED talk about um, procrastination? Uh, I might have, but I forget it right now. Man, he had this. He, um, well, anybody that's heard it, that's the guy that talks about the panic monster, and that's the only re- the only way that procrastinators get anything done. And so, like, you have in your head this uh, instant gratification monkey. <laughs> And the instant gratification monkey just bounces around your head. This procrastinator, you know, oh, instead of doing this, you know, homework, I'm just going to sit here and watch uh, baby goats for <laughs> five hours. Yeah. Right. And then but when you approach your deadline, then the, then the panic monster comes around and scares the monkey away. And then you, you know, then you get to get to right, type right. it. Um, <laughs> so that was a little bit of the inspiration for it. So what what I was going to do is have these notifications just pretty much berate you for being lazy. <laughs> um, and it was called, it was <laughs> called the procrastinated. Um, so, it, but the idea was, is that, and I even named the, the, uh, the notification service that I had to coordinate it called it the pan. I called it panic monster. Um, so <laughs> it was, <laughs> but I could get it to, I could get the notifications sent the local notifications to, to go right. off. Um, but I couldn't increment the badge count. And it seemed like the only way to really, it seems like it's an easier thing to do via push Mm -hmm. than it is to do local. Cause I could not figure out for the life of me how to increment that badge count. So that's disappointing. I was hoping. Sorry. Sorry. You know, I I just (laughs) had to say the same thing. And it was just a, you know, it looks like a little picture and a little, you know, I will do this. I forget exactly what it was now, but, um, the, actually, the other app I, I did, which which had, was more fun, was that uh, I do a lot of, um, not a lot, but I, I run and I, I cycle. So I do some races and stuff. So I had created an app where you could put the event in and it would, it would give you a countdown date to that app. And then it would use notifications to say, you're 
you know, your race is a week away, your race is six days away, and then you can go into the app and have like a countdown to the day, to your race start date. Because the problem is, is you end up signing up for a race a year before or eight months before. You don't remember how close it is. And last thing you want to be is, oh, that race is in two weeks. <laughs> You're like, oh, I really should have prepared for that. Man, you know, I have stuff in my head and then I don't, like, <laughs> I don't keep it because like something else, it's that instant gratification Uh-oh. monkey, right? Because I have the responsible yeah. questions in my yeah. head and then I ask stuff about... <laughs> about incrementing badges <laughs> is what is what it's like oh hey he might know about badges um, what do you call that there's it's, it's totally aside but there's a there's an interesting uh, researcher called carol dweck and she does the fixed mindset versus the uh, growth mindset so a fixed mindset means you're stuck on something um and you think everything's kind of fixed in place so like it relates a lot to intelligence so it says you think you're this smart and that's as smart as you ever be where growth mindset says, Hey, I can always be smarter. So it's interesting tying that into what you're saying with, with the, the monkey. It's kind of like, you know, the, the, the monkey is saying, um, what do you call it? You stop now, do this. This is as good as you ever be. Where if you get rid of the monkey and you, you scare away, you can be like, oh, all right, I can do more and, and become better. That That is pretty, I don't think I've ever heard of that. Right. Uh, what 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 did you say? Carol Dweck. She's a Carol Dweck. Dweck. D W E C K. Yeah, just okay. look up some YouTube videos. There's a ton of stuff, and it's called the, the Growth Mindset. It's a really cool idea about um, words you say and and how things go about how um, how people view intelligence and learning. And obviously, it's very applicable to a podcast called Learn Swift Podcast. Is you know, if you didn't think you could program and you start learning Swift, well, maybe you'll just hack away at it for a bit and never really get good at it because you don't think you can and you're kind of stopping yourself before you ever succeed. Uh, I'll, I'll put, I'll, I'll find something, put a link into the show notes sure. or whatever. Um, if you, if you have like a favorite one of, of hers, uh, you could send that to me after the show and I'll, I'll drop sure. it in there. We're starting to hit the, the end of the show. Um, is there anything that you want to talk about before we sign? Um, not really, honestly. We've had a great conversation. This has been fun. It's been uh, my, my first time on a podcast, so uh, it's been an interesting experience. Well, if it makes you feel any better, it's only been my. <laughs> <time. So, laughs> this is episode. Hey, hey, you're getting there, man. You're a little steps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before we sign off, I want to, and I always mean to do this in the middle of the show. Um, but I just want to remind everybody that the Learn Swift podcast is a part of the Swift Coders family of podcasts or network, whatever you want to call it, um, which consists of Swift Coders and Fireside Swift. Go check out those guys. They put out some great content, uh, of course, after you listen to this show. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Mike, if anybody wants to reach out to you how can they get uh, a hold twitter's of you? the best um, my handle is mike under well you'll leave that in the show notes so i don't really need to tell you the, the thing <laughs> um <laughs> yeah bunch a couple yeah i know yeah that's, i, I yeah, picked that in 98 yeah. so it's like it's it's old it's like not the twitter one but the one that it tied the email account that it ties to so it's kind of like my standard online thing but it was a bad choice <laughs> right yeah i saw i i figured you're an older guy because i saw the uh, <laughs> <Hot nail. laughs> i mean I, I, yeah i was like oh man he's at he's at least as old as i am because i remember hotmail yeah. so. yeah, Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> all right mike i really enjoyed having you on the show Thanks, and that concludes this episode of the learn swift podcast
I hope our discussion left you feeling inspired and that you're not alone. If you enjoyed the show, please consider telling a friend, recommending the show on Overcast, or leaving a review on iTunes. If you want to be on the show or say hello, you can reach me on Twitter at Stephen underscore 0351. Thanks, and see you next time.